morning, friends. It's my privilege to read the Bible to you this morning. Uh, David's going to be preaching from John chapter 21, uh, and you'll find that on page 881. I'm taking up the story from verse 15. So it's John chapter 21 from verse 15. <clears throat> when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger and you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Let me pray as we come to God's word. Our Father, we want to, as much as possible, humble our hearts We're so good at putting ourselves at the centre of life and yet we trust that you are the foundation. You are the one who is all in all and we want to, as much as we can, place ourselves under you, submit ourselves to you trusting in your love and kindness and grace. Thank you for being with us now. Thank you that you, uh, through John, wrote this book. This is your word to us. And as we read it, we thank you that it's your word speaking to us this morning. Amen. 
When I first started preaching, I've been a pastor for a bit over 30 years, and when I first started preaching regularly, I asked some people in the church, I was asked to give me some feedback. I wanted to improve and uh, just hear what they thought about what I was saying and how clear it was. Uh, One of the things that every person I asked initially said was that my sermon was incomplete. It was like I finished the sermon and there was nothing. They said, there's no conclusion. We're just kind of left hanging. Conclusions are incredibly important. Not only so people know that things have come to an end, the sermon or the books are being rounded off, but conclusions bring resolution. They bring clarity to threads that have been woven through. Conclusions can challenge and motivate, and often with conclusions, especially something like a sermon, people may go away with a conclusion most fresh in their mind. And yet I guess you all know people, certainly I know people, when they'll say, in in conclusion, and then they go on for another 15 minutes, (laughs) and as I finish, and then another 15 minutes, and then finally, conclusions are important, but there's only one conclusion, one that finishes And John's conclusion, as he wrote the book, seemed to finish at the end of 20, chapter 20. For there we read, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that begs the question, why chapter 21? If he's concluded, is John one of these who doesn't know when to actually stop? He just keeps writing and writing. Well, John, if we looked at chapter 1, actually begins his book with what's called a prologue or a foreword, where themes are introduced for the book that are then expanded on as he writes. And chapter 1 seems to be something of an epilogue, where John ties up some threads concerning what the disciples' role is and Peter. I'm not a fisherman, I must confess to those who are fishermen. So spending 20 years near Lake Macquarie made me often feel the odd one out. One day a man, uh, a guy who was part of the church, Lovely guy invited me to go fishing with him. He fished on Lake Macquarie for Taylor in his boat. He had grown up around the lake. And what I didn't realise that was for him, going fishing meant at least four hours. (laughs) Well, we would just motor up the lake, fishing for Taylor, different places. After about 15 minutes, I realised this was going to be an issue. Finally, my boredom got the better of me, and after an hour, I said, I'm sorry, I need to get back to work. 
Fishing had been part of the disciples' work. But encountering Jesus radically changed them. So with the disciples returning to Galilee as Jesus had instructed them, Peter's decision to go fishing seems to be not returning to his work, but filling in time as he waited. Well, that night on the Sea of Tiberias, which is another word for the Sea of Galilee, they fished and they caught nothing. Jesus was on the shore, hard to see. It was dark still. And he called out, interestingly, already knowing the answer, Lads, haven't ye caught any fish? No. Throw your net on the right side. And there was a huge catch. This has happened once before. And John realised it was Jesus and told Peter, so Peter quickly is in the water, leaving the others to haul this huge catch in. I wonder if you could put yourself in that scene. If you're in the boat, you've seen Jesus' dead body on the cross. You know that he died. Now this is actually the third time that you've seen Jesus alive as you witness this fish miracle. How do you react when you're in that scene? You see, we're so familiar with the gospel narratives. We read it, we've read it maybe 65,000 times. We know what's happening. And yet for the disciples, they're trying to take it in. They didn't doubt it was Jesus. But they're overawed. They're trying to comprehend what it means for the person they saw dead, now alive. And in this process of trying to comprehend, they say, who are you? Knowing it's Jesus, not doubting it's Jesus, but trying to understand. Well, on the shore, they find that Jesus has prepared breakfast for them. Interesting, he doesn't need their fish, but graciously, he says, well, bring some of your fish as well. Jesus had served the disciples before his death, and now he continues to serve them by providing and feeding them. And it seems that John has included this epilogue, or one of the reasons is to remind his disciples that as he wrote, it's for to remind his readers and therefore he is reminding us today. That we can't do anything without him. That we can't do anything without him. Remember John's purpose at the end of 20, chapter 20? But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, 
the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And it seems like Jesus, as feeding his disciples, is something like a parable. He feeds them, and they are to feed others. The disciples were to pass the same message on to others that they themselves had been fed with. The message of life being found in the crucified and the resurrected Jesus. Indeed, Jesus said earlier in chapter 6, Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. The message that his disciples and his followers and those who read, who trust in him, the message that we're to offer others is not about what we do, but about what Jesus has done. And if we were to look back in John, if we were to look back when Jesus washed his disciples' feet and look from there, through to chapter 17, we find how Jesus' death feeds and equips his followers for mission. In chapter 14, Jesus' death secures our eternal home with him. In 15, Jesus' life flows in us as we abide in him. In both chapters 14 and 16, Jesus' spirit assures, reassures and convicts the world of sin. In chapter 16, while the world will hate Jesus and Jesus' followers, Jesus has overcome the world. In chapter 17, Jesus intercedes for his disciples and all who will believe through their message. He intercedes for us today. What Jesus' death accomplished feeds and strengthens us so that we can feed other people with that same message. I've been greatly encouraged by some people at our church for whom the death of Jesus has fed them and they want to pass that same message on to feed other people. Nick, a 22-year-old, he comes to night at night church, who last year paid for himself to go on a mission trip to West Asia and to do campus ministry at a local university. He, with some others, sought to connect with students from that country to share the gospel to feed them with what he himself had been fed with and then to pass on those who were spiritually opened to longer-term workers in the university. The message of Christ who loved and stood in our place, taking our judgment, had so fed Nick, he wanted to pass that message on so other people were fed with it. It's not dissimilar to what we heard this morning with Gideons and Katrina. Or Graham, who has been gripped by Jesus, 
that he wants to share the message of Jesus with a man he never previously knew, but he met in an aged care home. And who has been thrilled to be part of the peace tent in Lakemba through Ramadan. And indeed, Ethan thinks, maybe just initially contemplating about going to another culture, using his professional skills, he has been fed with that message and he wants to feed or offer that as food to others. Like the disciples, we cannot bring people to God. Rather, we feed them with what we ourselves have been fed with. But John, as he wrote his gospel, maybe he's writing 50 years or so after Jesus has ascended. And it seems because the way he writes his gospel, even 50 years later, there's still questions being asked about Peter. The legitimacy of Peter as an apostle, can he be trusted because of his denial of Jesus? And so then we find this, John writes his book, and he, in a sense, in this epilogue, adds this, Encounter after breakfast, where Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than these. I guess they could refer to the fishing boat and the fishing tackle. Do you love me more than fishing? But probably it's, do you love me more than these other disciples? For Peter had said, even though they fall away, I will not. And Peter's response was, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He can't say, I love you more than these. His pride has been broken. He's no longer boastful. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Two more times, Jesus asks, Simon, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And John says that Peter was hurt. The word for hurt refers to grief. Peter was not sad because Jesus didn't believe him, but he was painfully aware of what he had done. He grieved that. And Jesus asked that question three times because Peter had denied Jesus three times. And all in the hearing of the other disciples. Here was a public affirmation of Peter's call to feed and care. Jesus' flock, as one who was sent an apostle. Uh, as Steve started off the service, it is a powerful example that no matter how far we fall, 
No matter how much we sin, the grace and forgiveness found in Jesus is greater. And no matter who we are, we still have a role, a place in the family when we come back to Jesus and accept his forgiveness. Grace and forgiveness found in Jesus' death is greater. My father was a a godly man. Uh, All my life I, I didn't know him anything other than being a follower of Jesus. And he invested a lot in my life. Uh, He was in an aged care home, um, probably for the last 18 or 19 months of his life. And probably, although I didn't realise the time, probably only with five or six days to go of his life, he began talking to me about things in his past. And it occurred to me that he was unburdening. He was confessing some things that obviously had stayed with him. And what interests me, they were things that went back probably 40 or 50 years. And if I were just looking on as a, an outsider, they seemed incredibly insignificant. And yet for him... They had taken hold of him and he lived with that guilt. My father worked in a mission. He was a pastor. But as his life was ebbing away, being made right in these areas of his life that he had not dealt with, he found God's grace that brought peace to a troubled conscience. As Jesus had fed the disciples on the beach, so the disciples were to feed others with the very same message that they had been fed with, that life is found in Christ in his death and in his life. It's the message that feeds us and it's that same message that we have that we can offer as food to others. A message of repentance and forgiveness. However, while for all of us it is the same message we will use or distribute or live with that message in different ways. For some, it will mean going across the street. For some, it will mean going across cultures. For some, it will mean giving financially to missions. For some, it will mean giving time to serve in NBC kids. For some, it will mean praying for cross-cultural workers. For some, it will mean praying for work colleagues. 
For some, it will mean teaching in scripture in schools. For some, it will mean writing to missionaries. What we know is that there is one message, and that message has a cost. Indeed, Jesus said, if we want to follow him, we need to take up our cross and follow him. Well, Peter took that message to the Jews, or he would take the message to the Jews, which would result in his death. John says, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The cost of Peter feeding others with the message that he had been fed meant that he himself would be crucified. And Peter, seeing John, asked that question, what about him? In verse 21, and Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. For John... To follow Jesus would mean feeding others through what he wrote. Church history tells us, indeed, as he began to write the book of Revelation, he's on the island of Patmos, and church history tells us that that's where he died. The preached word, the word spoken by Peter, and the written word are the same message. They are a message of grace that is found in believing in Jesus and finding life and forgiveness in his name. This epilogue, this ending of his book, informs us that disciples were to feed, were, to, were fed by the message of life through Jesus' death, and that same message was to be passed on to others. Willfully, whoops, not willfully, willingly and joyfully, despite the cost, so that people might believe and have life in his name. Just very quickly, Elizabeth, my wife, Elizabeth, her father uh, was born in England, grew up in Dr. Bernardo's homes worked in a few jobs, then came uh, on a, became a steward on a, on a cruise liner. Coming out, he was going to get off at New Zealand, but he, some people in the cabin he was serving said, why don't you get off in Australia? At least you'll know us. So he got off not knowing anyone apart from them, and they went to Stanmore Baptist Church. And so he started going to Stanmore Baptist Church. 
heard this message of which people have been fed with and they fed him with and became a follower of the Lord Jesus. It's stories like Taz told us about the Gideons. Hearing the message, reading the message, the same message but passed on in different ways. John concludes, Jesus did many other things as well. If everyone were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. There are many things we don't know about. But John reminds us what we do know is competent for us and others to find life in Jesus. John reminds us to have confidence in that message, feed on it, and feed others with it. Amen. Can I pray for God to help us do that? Our Father, we thank you that the message of the Lord Jesus is a message of life, of forgiveness, of joy, a message of the Lord Jesus taking our place, saving us from judgment, leading us to repentance. Thank you. I think it was a message that changes us inwardly, a message that we can feed on, and a message that as it grows within us, the desire to feed others with. And yet we acknowledge that we can't do anything apart from you. So we do pray for your... your spirit... As we began praying, lead us to be humble. Lead us to trust. Lead us to depend on you. Amen.